The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, August 8, 2021, on the basis of John 6, verses 24 through 35. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. Last Sunday, after fellowship, Barb Schultz came into my office while I wasn't there and left a single banana on my desk. I don't know why, but I can't understand how in the mix with all the dunkers and the glazers and the coffee, a few bananas might just get left behind, might be neglected. Well, in the journey from Monday to Friday, I never found myself in, in the right place to eat that banana. I was never in a banana mood, but it was also inoffensive enough that I couldn't bring myself to throw it away. So thank you, Barb. Really, because it made this week a very existential experience. Because I got to watch from Monday to Friday that banana go from happy and yellow to speckled and brown. And now here I am, using my very last chance to preach the word of God to you, to divulge the big open secret that bananas rot. But while that happened, while I was watching that process take place, I also had the chance to work with our gospel reading and our theme for this morning. Do not work for food that spoils. Enduring words from the bread of life himself that are applicable at any time and in every place because no matter where you are and when you are, bananas rot. Bananas rot and cars break down and bread gets moldy and houses and bodies and family members break down. Everything we use, everything we feed ourselves with, and everything that we think we have to have, no matter how much we actually have to have it, all of those things spoil. And yet these are the things that so often we're driven to ask God to manage and produce for us. These are the things that we want out of Jesus because right now it seems like having those things is in our best interest. Now there's no inherent sin in that sort of self-interest. It keeps us alive most of the time. But if it is interested in things that spoil, then it becomes incredibly self-destructive. And because everything around us spoils, because everything around us goes bad, our self-interest will almost always point us towards self-destruction. Because everything spoils. But not everything has to. Because the bread of life offers us something that doesn't. Now, if a good deed ever went unpunished for Jesus, the four gospel writers, none of them really chose to draw attention to it. The last few weeks, we've been talking about these crowds that were chasing Jesus. He couldn't get a moment to eat. He couldn't get a moment's rest. So it was a new day on a new shore. But the only thing that had changed about the crowds was their reason for chasing him. And really, they were still all out to get something from Jesus. They were still out to, to take and take and take like they always had been. The only difference now was that they all agreed on what they wanted from him. Because with five loaves of bread and two small fish, 5,000 men and their families had been able to fill their bellies. They had been fed. And suddenly, all that mattered was that this magic bread man was able to feed them. Suddenly, whatever Jesus had preached on the day before, whatever he had said the day before, was a a distant memory. And whatever he had to say that morning was certainly their ticket to the meal train. Well, here's what he had to say. Very truly, I tell you, 
Which in this specific context is Jesus' way of saying, you haven't fooled me. I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. You haven't fooled me. And you shouldn't fool yourselves either. Very truly, I tell you, you came looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the bread and had your fill. Work. Not for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. If we, contend, if we condense all of that into a single thought, it's that you are absolutely right to go to the source of every blessing if you want to be blessed. And that pursuing Jesus is in your best interest. But also, that the pursuit of Jesus will never end in relief. And, and, and his blessings will never satisfy your heart if human nature is allowed to walk away from him at the end of the day with only the things that it thinks it needs. These crowds had come to the right man for all the wrong reasons. And it was no sin that self-interest had driven them to him. But their self-interest had become sinful when it repeatedly and deliberately misunderstood what Jesus, what their Savior, was trying to tell them when he said, Do not work for food that spoils. Because it made them too concerned with eating and drinking food that spoils to have any care about truly being fed to have any care about the one who should have been truly precious to them. And of course, that's very easy for me to say. It's very easy for me to point the finger at them and, and, and chuckle at their, at their foolishness when I have leftovers going bad in my fridge at home and when I can always turn down food now because there's always going to be more later, right? Now, it goes without saying that food is meant to be eaten. So it's a funny thing because for us to see food spoil then, means that we get to enjoy an excess of it. And I know we do. You know, that, that, that's, we have the privilege of working hard to earn the money to buy so much food that some of it gets to go bad before we eat it. For the first time in history, the common man is truly able to work for food that spoils. And we're happy with that. We're happy with that. But there's the threat for God's people. That if Jesus were only to give us the things that we came to him for, that our, that our human nature wants from him, then we would either remain content with things that spoil, or we would very quickly grow discontent with a Savior that spoils us. And, and if Jesus stuck around and doled out bread and wine and fish and meat forever and ever, before long we would all be surrounded by the, by the rot and the waste and the decay of these gifts that do not last. As it is, we already are. Surrounded by these spoiled gifts that pile up as this, as this silent testimony to our self-destructive self-interest. You make it food, make it a car, make it a job, make it family relationships, even good health. If we beg for nothing but things that spoil, eventually from a God who does not spoil, then those things still spoil. And we spoil along with them. And again, we're happy with that. But can we be happy with that? Because, I mean, when you tr just trace everything back to its source, you've got the bread that feeds the body, the wheat that makes the bread, the sunlight that nourishes the wheat, and the sun that makes the star. When you trace everything back along the chain that it came to us through, you find that on the most grand scale, Everything still spoils. 
It's called the third law of thermodynamics, and its long-term implications are that if time is allowed to roll on completely unimpeded, and if Christ is never to come back to take his church with him, then, well, eventually, not eventually, our universe remains in an irreversible state of decay. Every node and pocket of energy in the universe would eventually dwindle down to darkness. That means that every star eventually goes out. That means that every galaxy eventually grows cold. That means that all existence itself eventually settles at a state of no movement, no life, and no point. And the only conceivable way that that process is slowed, stopped, or reversed is if the God who created every star and created every galaxy, who spoke all these things out of nothing into being, if that God reaches out his hand to halt it. It's just that right now he doesn't. Right now God lets the stars burn out. God lets our bodies break down. He lets food spoil. He lets all these things go bad so that as we look upon the decay and everything around us, we might flee to the one who remains good for refuge. Because everything spoils, but the fact is that not everything has to. When our self-interest knows what we want, to the eternal detriment of the spiritual sustenance that we need, Jesus offers us before all else restoration for the soul that spoils without him. At the foundation, our greatest need, our most dire need, is a cure for the rot of the soul. I'm talking about healing for that tepid and toxic state of our relationship with our Heavenly Father before Jesus comes to us. And so all, of all the gifts that Jesus could give, and of all the blessings that we could beg him for, food that spoils for a body that breaks down is garbage when our need for something eternal is so great. And that's what they didn't get. Because there was real bread to be eaten, real fish that they had eaten. 5,000 men plus their families had stuffed themselves with these things just the day before. And yet now, here stand those same 5,000 men plus their families, hungry again. And yes, that's, that's natural, right? On the one hand, we get it. You get hungry again. I had a cup of coffee this morning. I'm going to want something to eat this afternoon, probably before this afternoon. Food that spoils can also only keep us fed for so long. But on the other hand, the irony of having to chase down this miracle man for our daily bread three times daily was just totally lost on them. And so Jesus cuts to the chase. I am the bread of life. I am and the bread of life, he says. Not the baker, not the bread merchant, not the serving tray, but the bread itself, the bread of life, which was so much more than they were seeking, but less than they knew what to seek for. And it was exactly what Jesus had come to give them. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. I get it, on any given day, it probably doesn't matter to any of us that everything spoils. Because regardless of that fact, everybody still hungers. And, and even on your worst day, you can still probably find something unspoiled to satisfy that hunger with. And Jesus finds no fault with that. 
He has no problem with hunger. It's the most basic of self-interests and Jesus has no beef with it. But he gets indignant when you allow your hunger to be satisfied today by things that will not keep you satisfied tomorrow because that's an insufficient fraction of what you need and it's an even more insignificant fraction of what Jesus wants to give you. Jesus has an eternal interest in feeding people's souls. Jesus is driven by a divine desire to tend to the dire spiritual needs of the individual. And why? When you find out the answer, it drives you to him. Jesus has that interest because every soul in that crowd was a soul that he gave up his life for. And every soul in this crowd is a soul for whom Jesus' own soul was laid bare. He gave up self-interest because he was interested in you. And what he has invested in you, what he has fed to you, what he has done for you, makes him entirely interested in feeding your souls. So he has no interest then in seeing you starve and spoil with the bread of life sitting next to you the whole time. Instead, what he does is he takes control of your hunger to keep you fed. Some of you, you know, may or may not know this. I've probably told you the story if uh, we've known each other for any amount of time. But at the end of my freshman year of college, I topped out at about 300 pounds. I was a big man and I loved to eat. In fact, looking back, I didn't even realize how much I loved to eat. I didn't realize how much, you know, to what extent that my love for food drove me to, to eat, how much that love for eating sort of pilfered from, all, from my love for not other people, but my love for other interests, other sources of joy, other things that were very important to me. And with all those reasons, you know, with all those other things in my life, you'd think I'd have plenty of reasons to shed some of those pounds. But the only reason that it actually happened the only reason that it actually became an attainable goal is because I experienced this profound redirection of what was important to me. A profound change of desires that put food back in its proper place and made a lifestyle out of exercise. That's what made it work. Not a fad diet that I was interested in, that I knew nothing about. Not this immensely painful exercise of, of willpower. It did include that, but that's not what did it. It was new desires and a new direction. And now I don't tell that story to pump myself up because, you know, especially seeing as I've been reunited with about 30 of those pounds since that time, but, and I'm also not trying to pit Jesus against food. Jesus isn't trying to pit Jesus against food. But as the bread of life, Jesus does not make himself present in our lives in order to satisfy the hungers and the notions and the, and the desires and the ambitions that we already had our hearts set on. He is not interested in pursuing the things that we wanted before we met him. What's clear as day is that all of those things scrap and brawl for dominance over each other and over Jesus in our hearts. And, no, and so as the bread of life, Jesus exists rather to create a new hunger in us that turns every idol of our hearts into dust. It's a hunger for Jesus as the giver who is greater than every gift. A hunger 
For, for Jesus is the one who brings us back from all the damage and rot that we deal to ourselves. And that's a hunger that not only drives us to be fed by him, but a hunger which, when it is met in him, sends us away eternally satisfied. I mentioned this in Bible study last week, but I think that if you plugged all the sermons I've preached this year into one of those programs that maps out your most frequently used words, then right in the middle, in size 300 font, would be the word self and all its little offshoots, himself, herself, ourselves, etc. And there's a good reason for that. So much of what God's word seeks to turn us away from is, is service to ourself, dependence on ourselves, reliance on ourself. And so you've heard a lot of, you spent a lot of time this year hearing from me about the dangers and the shortfalls of self-centered living. And I don't take a word of it back. But what I will say to you is that if you truly want to serve yourself, then the greatest favor that you can do for yourself is to take Jesus and put him at the center of your life. If you truly want to serve yourself, then the greatest two things that you can remember are that the gospel is for you, but it's about Jesus. It's purpose, it's peace, Everything it drives us, for, uh, drives us towards is for your eternal benefit. But all of it, forever and ever, centers on Jesus as the giver of every good gift, as the one who can truly take our, self, our, our self-interest and turn it towards our best interest. Amen. <laughs>